Hello, and welcome to Season 4 of Lightwork Presents Everything is Connected, where we share the interesting and inspiring stories of artists, critical thinkers, thought leaders, and art professionals on a wide range of topics about life, work, and our world. We share ideas on our inspirations and the influences that affect our lives. I'm your host, Falashade Olugundudu, and I look forward to sharing the conversations I have with artists and creative professionals across the art industry and beyond. As I travel to art fairs, gallery openings, and events within the creative industries both in the U.S. and abroad, join me in discovering and learning about some of today's most interesting and dynamic artists and creative professionals. If you're new to the show, I'm happy to have you here. If you've been on this journey with me, welcome back. Let's get it. On this episode, I'm joined by Essence Hardin. Essence Hardin is a visual arts curator at CAM, the California African American Museum, one of only two museums in the state dedicated to the work of African American artists. We need more institutional spaces for black art, but that's another conversation for another day. I met Essence a couple of years ago in LA, and we've been in touch ever since, bumping into each other in NY or LA, attending Prada parties and Hauser and Worth events, such as an artist talk with Thelma Golden and Gary Simmons on the eve of his LA solo with the gallery a couple of years ago. This year, Essence was named the Curator of Focus at Freeze, opening next week in LA. Freeze LA is always a vibe. Lots of people, parties, and of course, my personal favorite, morning hikes at Runyon before a busy day of walking the fairs, talking to gallerists, and catching up with artists both old and new. For this year's focus, Essence explores the intimate environmental and urban dimensions of ecologies. Across all Freeze Fairs, Focus is a space dedicated to galleries founded within the last 12 years, so there's lots of emerging galleries and artists to discover. Just last week, the Hammer Museum named Essence one of two curators of the seventh edition of the Made in LA Biennial to be held in the fall of 2025. When I catch up with Essence, she's fresh off a call with friend and artist Lauren Halsey. On this episode, we chat about Lauren Halsey, the importance of place and geographies, and her curation of focus at this year's upcoming Freeze LA, opening next week. Let's dive into my next episode with Essence Harden. Essence Harden, I'm so excited to have you on an episode of Everything is Connected. Really looking forward to chatting with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's really good to just catch up with you. It's been a while. I feel like we met a couple of years ago in L.A., Dominique Clayton introduced us. I came over to your house. We had a really nice chill afternoon. Walked around Lamert Park, which is where you live, right? Yeah. Yeah, and um, I got to... I don't to have s- anymore, but yeah. Oh, you're somewhere else now. Yeah, we're three blocks away on this quiet, very quiet street, and it's so cute, and we love it, yeah. I think hearkening back a little bit to when I first met you and thinking about some of the questions that I wanted to ask on today's episode, I've been doing a little bit of research and learning a little bit more about your work and what you're working on right now with Focus, with Freeze coming up. But as a person who's a L.A. transplant, but has come to L.A., finds it a place of deep inspiration, and I'm sure you know, lots of community that you've built over the years. What about LA specifically stands out to you as a place that's really unique and special? Yeah, I'm not from here. I'm from California. I'm from uh, the Bay Area, I'm from Oakland and Berkeley. My 
family has been there for three generations. So being a black Californian is kind of like a funny thing generationally, since lots of us aren't with that kind of history. So when you are from here, I will say from California and you're black, you basically have this kind of relationship with Los Angeles and the Bay Area often. So every year we go to LA to visit family. My grandparents used to live here for 15 years before they lived in the Bay. They're from the South. But just saying, you know, there's this kind of relationship. So the here-ness of LA always felt not foreign to me. It's like a place I've been coming to forever. Why I wanted to move here and why it feels unique is that there's this incredible openness and welcomeness of welcoming that I felt. I can't speak for anyone else, but it's been remarkable how much of my own insight about art, about black geography, overall kind of creative practice that uses more ephemeral, funky, funk-based objects or ways of thinking has really happened while being here. And I think because I'm not, you know, maybe coming from a different, a really different perspective, I just being from Cali, being from the West, I've been, I don't know, allowed to kind of percolate my ideas and percolate my friendships and community here. So it's been really beautiful seeing how open everyone's been to me and how open my own capacity has been. And it's really supported my own curatorial practice it supported my PhD research when I was doing that when I first moved here and just the way I think about art and the way I think about people the people I met kind of day one I'm still friends with here I have long-term friendships anyways so and a lot of the people I grew up with also actually live in LA now too so it's been really great I don't know I think the distinctness is just maybe by virtue of it being you know a larger city certainly than any city in the Bay Area but also its capacity especially for black folks to still have some amount of presence and representation in terms of literal geographies, material geographies that we see has been incredible to me. Oakland doesn't really exist in the same way like that anymore. So I've been really impressed by that. And just, yeah, I think the overall kind of energy and love and compassion I've, I've felt as a person living here. I think that's a good opportunity to kind of expand a little bit on your PhD research that was LA-based and researching Studio Z that was an active collective in the 1970s. Can you talk a little bit about that and the way that place and geography has really grounded your approach to curation? Because it's very specific, right? Thinking of place, time, and people, all of these things happening at once, but being grounded in a particular location. Yeah, I think, again, it's kind of this weird obsession with California that I have that I think as the art world tends to look towards the East, right? I'm talking about the United States. California kind of disappears, and I think the things that Black folks have done here creatively, artistically, have actually spoken to the entirety of the art world, especially around, again, ephemeral-based object, performance work, different kind of value assessment being towards the things that are actually created kind of come from California. And so Studio Z, you know, I went to UC Berkeley, I did Black Studies there, and I moved here to do this research. I ultimately, you know, am ADD, all but dissertation, and turned in the chapter and then turned it to COVID and I like never looked back because um, I started doing more and more curatorial work as well. But, you know, Studio Z is this weird, flexible collective and I was kind of, and it has, you know, David Hammonds and Sagan and Goody and Marin Hassinger and a whole host of people who are maybe 
less famous, but in that idea of a collective, it was a flexible space. And so the work was really supported individually and in a group via the needs of whomever. So if someone was doing a performance piece, they needed lots of people to come through, the collective was there. If someone happened to stumble upon, you know, a building being disrupted, being torn down, they thought this was a good moment, someone from the collective would be present. But this idea of collective was kind of used as a family space, right? So the family is not a stable environment. It's actually this kind of a moving and breathing element. And I was intrigued by how the art that they made also spoke to that kind of elemental factor of how they formed. So the art that they made was often assemblage and performance. And I was, there's something about LA and this moment of 1970s, but folks being really inspired by a lack of a market in terms of the commercial market for art to explore and also allowing for, you know, the movement that were, that allowed them to actually make the work. Meaning they had jobs, people were coming in and out, and there wasn't these sort of hard line concepts around what it meant to be or belong together, but it moved and it, and it, and it breathed. And I think that that allowed for the work to do what it needed to do and allowed for their friendship to do what it needed to do. So I was kind of intrigued by how assemblage could become a type of ethos that actually navigated friendship and navigated work that was being produced, but also how they thought of themselves as a collective. So friendship, collective, and an and art object are all kind of a, existing in this theoretical space of assemblage of, of recreating and remaking as needed and infusing it with the energy of the people and the populaces that, that orient it. So that was kind of the PhD research, right? And... And out of that, I just, you know, I, I was here and I was seeing how those ideas still felt very relevant in terms of the geography of L.A. in itself, right? That we have the ocean, we have, there's this immense amount of, I don't know, because it's California, I guess, too, Asian diaspora that happens here in California that's very particular and maybe not as present in the middle of the country or the south of the country or, or on the east, right? But those influences know that black populations exist within close proximity to other types of non-white people is also really interesting to me here in California. And so those kinds of geographical questions, those spatial questions, the histories that all these different, you know, racial and ethnic groups occupy within the United States also speak to the type of art that happens here and how people think about the use value of what they produce and the energy of what they produce. And ultimately, you know, now there's obviously a very large market here in LA and this happens off and on throughout history since the 1980s. There's a market, there's not, there's a market, there's not. And we're obviously in this really big influx, but I, I just was intrigued by that kind of historical trajectory of the, you know, Watts Rebellion this idea of assemblage coming into term with blackness and, and social circumstance and the histories that get embedded in the work that's produced. And so if I think of Lauren Halsley, if I think of E.J. Hill, the way that the geography of the space and those kinds of different historical trajectories actually are still being infused in the work today. And so my curatorial practice is so the Western United States or California specific often, because I think it's a really underserved community in terms of rigorous consideration. I am invested in considering what's happened here and what is happening here with just as much interest and investment 
as someone might be for an artist who's based in New York or, or Chicago or, you know, somewhere outside the United States. Yeah, you know, as you expand on that answer and give me so many different touch points, constellations to pull on, something that I'm thinking about from an earlier part of your response was thinking about sort of the commercial world and the community world and maybe how these can often be sort of opposing spaces where black people have had to situate themselves and do it for themselves, right? We've seen lots of different sort of grassroots, guerrilla style kind of, you know, community members banding together, putting together collectives across history, across time, and black folks having to do that in order to enact their own liberation, right? And and act out their own dreams and the things that they want to see and be a part of, taking yeah. ownership for themselves. But then I think to toggle back to, you know, the fact that you are curating Focus this year at Freeze, right? And it's a commercial mm-hmm. fair. And thinking about maybe how these different aspects of the field more broadly, the art field that you're in, you know, being a curator at CAM, and we can get into that in a second. But how do you sort of negotiate the spaces of places where Black folks have had to enact and create spaces for themselves, but then also working within a commercial space and maybe bringing to bear your individual curatorial interests in that commercial space? Yeah, how do I toggle that, operate within that tension? Exactly. I think that's life, honestly. I think that's life. I'm a black person in America. I don't know. That's life. It is a inhospitable environment from the get. You know, there is no way to overlook that. And also, it's the air that I breathe, so to some degree, I ignore it. I just operate through it. I think of, you know, Toni Morrison so much and the investment of just doing and being in love with the people I'm in love with, my community, right? And the community is, I mean, there's a broad sense of community, but I think I'm actually accountable to human beings in my life who I'm not blood related to. And that's my investment, right? And that love guides me. And it can sound a little bit corny, but I operate out of that space where I'm if this is the circumstance of my beingness, this is the way in which I've been born into an environment, then my work here is to sort of stay in the energetic field of, of building, of support, of compassion, of love and grace. And I honestly really try to operate out of that space. So for me, the, you know, it's, it's easy to some degree to be like, okay, so I have freeze focus and that's exciting and that's, I'm happy to be there and I'm happy that they chose me. And what does it mean for me to now be in a space where, you know, lots of black folks who either own galleries or who make work or non-black people of color who own galleries or make work or whomever it might be, or women, you know, all the ways in which we have different positionalities might somehow be obscured from this space. Now that I'm here, how can I take these other practices quite seriously, right? And I think so much of what happens is the reduction of people to positionality that the work that they do gets actually overlooked. So what if I assume, and I do assume, that people are thoughtful, are intellectually rigorous and interested and invested, and that the work that they create is rich, you know, rich in spirit. And if I take that seriously, then I can always basically have an exhibition that is mostly people of color, that is mostly women, that is mostly queer people, because I'm going to still think about the objects that they make first, 
but I'm not going to use the positionality of someone to reduce them as, oh, you're black and you're a woman, you make art, that's what your art is about. And what if someone is white dude and they do the same thing, no one's ever doing that, right? So why don't I look at what the art actually is and use it? I'm not an art historian, but I do think there's an important principle in art history to say that the object does come first, right, it is art. And I'm like, okay, so now I'm looking at Wilding Cadet and I'm looking at the work and I'm like, the way that this is designed and laid out, the story, the narrative, the history, the way that the camera is a tool and it's not a certain kind of proposition, but the way she takes up the framing, she takes up the actual dimensions of a space, finding the corners, finding these interesting investments between moving image, still image, recreation, diaspora, history, and it comes through via the work. That's why you're in focus, not because you're a black woman who is a photographer, you're in focus because you're an incredible artist. And I, and you also are a black woman. You also are Haitian. You also are living in a diaspora. You also are these other things. I'm invested and interested in that. That I'm like, what is the art doing? What do I feel from it? And if I go from there, then I'm always going to have exhibitions that are mostly those things because there are really incredible artists who hold different positionalities. And that's just the truth of life. Like, as I said at the beginning, it's an inhospitable place here. So if that's my truth, then, you know, that's kind of the foreground to some degree, then what else can I do rather than existing in that kind of, or wallowing in that to some degree? Because it impacts all of us, it impacts me, and yet I still find a way to live a full life and to not be so, I I refuse it. I refuse to be, allow the boot of my neck to, stifle out all the air i just refuse it i don't know i'm i feel bitchy like that i'm still gonna do stuff i'm still gonna try because i'm a being i'm alive and it feels like a real responsibility to draw breath a thousand percent so beautiful i feel like i could go in so many tangents but i do want to talk a little bit about a bit about your role at cam so can you share sort of what you do for the folks listening and what you really enjoy about that role there at CAM as the visual arts curator? Yeah, I mean, CAM is one of two black institutions in California. There's MOAD in San Francisco and there's CAM in Los Angeles. It's, it has a long history in the city and I've been a curator there for just over two years and I, I, worked, with, I worked with really great people like Taylor Renee Aldridge just the other visual arts curator. Susan Anderson is the history curator. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's cool to be a part of an institution that, you know, puts forward exhibitions that are black folks in the diaspora. The majority of the work that gets exhibited there. And Cam has a relationship right now with Art and Practice, which is Mark Bradford's project space in Lumberd Park. And there's a museum in residence. There's exhibitions that happen there as well as exhibitions that happen at Cam. And so... Right now, I'm gearing up to install Tatiana Fazalizade's um, solo exhibition at Art and Practice. And she also has the atrium at CAM. And she's a Brooklyn-based artist. She's from Oklahoma. But she came out here summer of last year, or spring of last year, and was here for 30 days doing a series of interviews with Black women who are based in or from Los Angeles and kind of created this whole body of work around it. And so this one execution in Cam's atrium, the atrium has these kind of 30 foot tall walls. They're very gigantic. 
And so she has all these repasted portraits, five of them, maybe a little bit more in terms of the actual people who are represented that are in the atrium. And then at art and practice, she'll have this actual like full body exhibition with oil painting, weed paste, vinyl, archival material, video installation. It's like the first presentation, I think, of Tatiana's that really kind of allows for how her work actually is expansive for her to be realized in a singular space. I think especially in California, which is a very different audience from Los, from sorry New York and Brooklyn in particular, who has this kind of visual relationship with her work. I think that's not the same here. So having her in two different sites is wonderful. I think, you know, Cam has this kind of capacity to highlight black folks who make art and that kind of rigor I was talking about, this idea of like, if we assume that someone is, if we know that the person is black, what else do, what else can we say about the art? That gets to happen with Cam because, yeah, obviously they're gonna be black, it's California African American Museum. So outside of that, what's really happening with the art and the work? And that feels, yeah, like really exciting and vital. And yeah, and that, and that exhibition with Tatiana opens in April. Beautiful, so lots to look forward to. Yeah. You know, it's nice that we're chatting ahead of Freeze because, you know, that's going to be a busy week. It's always such a busy week in L.A. But outside of focus and, you know, all of the work that you've put together to sort of showcase artists that are either underrepresented or galleries that haven't shown at the fair before, anything in particular you're really looking forward to with Freeze coming up? Ooh, what am I looking forward to? The parties, the, the people. I think what's going to be fun is doing tours. I like... You know, I always do something for Freeze in some capacity, and like I think most curators or people here do something for them. But the I'm really excited to actually tour people through Focus. Yeah, to give like insight on because a fair amount of the galleries are California based. There's two that are from the Bay Area, which I thought was important. Again, I love the Bay. I don't live there, and I will I probably won't live there again. But I do love that place, and so having them a part of this like broader history of like freeze focus this year is important to me. And I think just giving, I mean, it sounds so like teachery, but I do really like the idea of walking or guiding people through focus. And if it's artists they never heard of or galleries they've never heard of, I'm happy to like present an opportunity to get to know what's happening in the state a little bit better. And there's galleries that aren't only in, in LA and in California specifically, but the touring I'm really excited about. The parties are always fun. They're always exhausting because then they can <laughs> you're like, oh, I have a full life to still lead. And those things are always really fabulous. But I really, I'm, I want to meet people. I want to hear conversations. I love overhearing how exciting it is for people to experience art for the first time. And I normally don't go to freeze on the weekend. I only, I'm like, I'm going to go at 11 a.m. on you know, Thursday, the first moment you're allowed to go when there's mostly collectors and stuff there. So it's pretty quiet. So I'm kind of excited to see what it looks like on a Saturday and Sunday when it's, you know, hectic with everyone. And yeah, it's like be of use to the galleries who are coming here. And it's been really great doing multiple studio visits with everyone and really understanding the work that's going to be presented because, you know, press happens and I want to speak highly of all the work that's going to be there. And I'm just so excited. Everyone put their whole foot into it. And they've really done a huge feat. And I know how, you know, 
expensive and time consuming and you know all encompassing it can feel to be present for a fair and make your booth feel distinct. And I really do think that each booth feels very distinct um, from the other. There's a lot of interesting sculpture. I mean, I like abstraction. There's things that are more direct and have some relationship to figuration, but there's a lot of wild stuff, I, I hope, and I hope it feels as freaky as I love to curate and that, you know, there's no kind of singular, you don't walk, you don't go through the section and be like, oh, I know what it's all going to be. I, I hate that. I want people to go and be like, wow, I'm really surprised that this is here and this is so interesting and I learned this and I'm now intrigued by that and between material and color and scale, I just, I'm really excited to tour people through it. I love that. Yeah, you're making me think about so many things that are part of the joy of doing this work. And one of those is really watching people experience art and kind of be behind them while they're doing it, overhearing them talk about it, watching them get up close to something, right? And kind of seeing all of the beautiful detail that wasn't, they weren't aware of it at the beginning. But as we round out the episode, I kind of want to go back to the very beginning before we started recording. And you talked to me a little bit about Lauren Halsey. And I think as someone who's your friend, but as someone who's, for me, she's an artist that I look at and look sort of up to in terms of not only creative language, but a way of putting objects together and kind of having a deep understanding of the symbolism and the, the, the depth of objects and how objects can tell such an incredible story. Is there anything about Lauren's work in particular that you really resonate with and that kind of speaks to you yeah lauren a visionary she's totally black feminist epistemology it's not just about academia and certainly lauren has her accolades in that space but it's really about practice and it's about how you actually think about what an archive is and then your own capacity your own spirit to manifest that and that's like to have the vision from day one from before i knew her she knew what ultimately was going to be able to happen and watching the scale of her work and the density of her work and of her vision change over time. I feel very privileged to have known her for these last nine years and to have seen the work, you know, when the budget was like this and to see the work when the budget is like that, you know, the difference, but knowing that it's actually, and I was saying this to her, they're drafts because the idea is the idea and her capacity to execute it is, it differs on, yeah, circumstance. But the vision is the same. And so I must, you know, writing, I love drafts, actually, not maybe my own drafts, but I like reading other people's drafts and, and looking at the experience change, develop and scale up over time when you have more and more um, support around the idea, around the work. That's academia, right? academic writing, you know, anything where you're just, there's, but the person has the vision at the beginning, or I just have to get there. And I think with Lauren, I, she's just, she's just so fantastic. If Toni Morrison, you know, could have given birth to her. It's like that black woman magic. It's just who we are. It's spirit. She's such an incredible artist and thinker and has such a strong ambition to materialize her truth. And the way that she thinks about an archive and the way that she executes the archive, no one else does it like her. No. And it's, it's fantastic to know her. And I think it's fantastic to have a black woman, a black queer woman who like loves where she's from. Like she loves South Central Los Angeles. And that kind of care 
it is not exploitative, it is not extractive, it is like actual love, and it guides what she does, and you can just feel it, that's why the work vibrates, you know? Yeah, in listening to your responses, I'm thinking about a word that I've been using a lot lately in my lexicon of just like people who, who really exist as beacons for us, right? They themselves are sort of like light bearers, right? They they cast a really long shadow. You can think about their work in a very expansive way. You can think about where it comes from and a long lineage of what's gotten them to arrive at where they are. And then you can look at the work and think about all of the future possibilities of it, right? And I think Lauren is an artist who, when I see her work, I'm it's like, there's so many things that I feel, but one of them is that it's immediately recognizable. I'm not from South Central. I'm from Brooklyn, right? I didn't grow up with that experience. I'm not queer. There are so many things that are not similar to me and this other person, but the work itself speaks to something so big and so broad that you feel a part of it. And so it, it's also a reminder that like, while individuals are so important and our ability to manifest and execute on an individual level is very important, there's so much beauty in the collective community of people who are having a similar vision, who are wanting to aspire to some, some of the same things, and also having people around you who deeply impact your ability to do that. Because by seeing what they do, you're like, oh my God. I can go out there and do the same thing that I want to do. Not the same thing, but like I can go out there and execute on my vision. So it's really yeah. She's great. I don't know. Yeah, it's great. And I think that's that's the universalness of of being. You know, like particles. The individualness is actually what creates the structure of the whole. And so, I think that like vibratory connection is really important. And you know, like it doesn't. You don't need to be from. I'm not from South Central. I'm from California, and so I feel like there's so many things where I'm like, oh, that looks like, like we call liquor, we call them liquor stores here, y'all call them bodegas, but we don't, but it's the same difference, you know, like it's a store that has all the things, and I'm always like, oh yeah, like it's just the way that things get, the difference of South, South LA from East Oakland, but also the things that connect it, and the, and the way that Black people, and, and Black women in particular, are just so bomb and creative, and visionaries and Lauren really holds the space for that and holds the space for all the ways that we um, are theorists and theorize our own existence in excess of, you know, I guess debasement mm-hmm. in excess of the limitations that are placed in our bodies. But there's, there's so much that we do and create for ourselves. I mean, we survive, we thrive, we change, things go away. But that story is, I think, story we can all really get connect to and I think it's really important that she's black American and does this you know there's so much shit talking from non-black American people about black American people or from black folks who are from Cali because people experience California right now I think they know something about what it means to be from this place and I think it's okay to not know but it's also and that not knowing to accept that maybe I don't know actually what it's like to grow up here or to be from this place but to allow for I don't know, like that story to be told is so important just like to me because I have a kid and she's a fourth generation person from here. I'm not indigenous to this place. You know, I'm not Native American, but I think being Black American is such a wild experience and the amount of kind of culture, intellectual gifts we have produced for the world. Lauren's just one, one of our people. And I love that we get to claim her for that. We get to claim her for being a black American and 
and doing your thing on the international stage, you know? Totally. A thousand percent. Well, as we round out the episode, final question will be, as you continue to work in the field, what keeps you inspired? Hmm. Artist? Art. I love art. It's wild to me. It's a wild thing to do, to take part of your spirit and then to put it up for everyone to engage with. You know, like that's a wild move. It's very vulnerable. And I am so appreciative because when that shit hits, it really hits. It, it changes the vibration of my day. I'll, I'll feel the spurs, the octopus tentacles of my mind go to a million reference points or start thinking of an exhibition or, you know, a quote that I saw or heard. It's a vibration. And I think, honestly, it's art. I love art so much. I love people who make stuff. And I see art in all the ways that happen in galleries and the ways that they happen on the streets and talking with people. I'm talking to people. There's so many entry points for it. And it doesn't all just exist within the commercial space. But I just... That's that's what motivates me. It makes me want to do the work. There's not that many, you know, people who look at me in this field. I think it's important. And I don't come at it from this traditional background. Even though I have the world of the PhD, it's no black studies. It's visual culture. It's a I'm I'm operating out of a different kind of site, which can allow for me to think through things that are not black as well. I think that is the power of black studies, actually. But I think it's a it's my it's my work on the planet. Whatever way, shape, or form I ultimately will land on, I will always be working in art. And I'm so grateful that I understand that about myself and that I get to do this work and really love it. You know, I'll be in these days where I'm like, oh my God, this shit is mad stressful. But then I'm like, wait, there's no art emergencies. And the stress is kind of being induced by exterior factors. And so I can be actually essence. You can recalibrate yourself or I'll feel, you know, whatever, general overwhelm for the state of the world. and be like, Maybe I should just do something radically different, you know. But I keep finding myself drawn back to it because I think it's what I'm here to do. So if that's being a curator, if that's writing, if that's, you know, a million other things I, I can and will be doing before I die, I'm excited just to know that art actually motivates me to be here and structure my time and my thoughts. So, yeah, artists, I love them. I They're love wild them. people. They're wild people, but I love, love them. I love that. That was just a beautiful way to end the episode. Thank you so much, Essence. Thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure, and can't wait to chop it up with you again soon. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. That was my episode with Essence Harden. I want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Essence for joining me on the show. And it's a wrap, folks. That was our episode of Everything is Connected, conversations on culture and current events with some of today's hottest creative contemporaries. These episodes are recorded remotely and on location wherever in the world I find myself, whether that be the U.S., Africa, Europe, the Middle East, the Caribbean, and more. Depending on where I am at the time of these recordings, you will hear the sights and the sounds of my local environment. I look forward to continuing these wonderful conversations with artists and creative professionals across industries with you. I'm your host, Falashade Ologundudu, and we'll see you next time. As always, stay motivated, stay inspired, and stay up. Peace and love, y'all. We out.